Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, and this is the Transporter Room. The intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And this week is seeing another governing body, an influential one in their sport, join the roll call of sports seeking to ban transgender women from playing at any level. More on that, but first, an acknowledgement on the passing of a piece of our science fiction roots. Now, I know we haven't had a lot of sci-fi lately because of a lot of ill communication, a lot of ugly things that have gone down in the last few weeks. But this is one we cannot ignore. Nichelle Nichols, talented actress, singer, best known for her role as Starfleet Lieutenant Noata Uhura, through three years of the original series of Star Trek and six feature films and hundreds of conventions, died over the weekend at age 89. Sherman set the Wayback Machine to 1966, when American audiences turned on the television and saw people boldly going where no one has gone before. And at the center seat, you saw a tough-minded captain from Iowa, although the actor who played that captain was from Canada. You had the helmsman from Japan, the weapons officer who was a Russian, sharing the bridge in a show done during the Cold War. And of course, there was the friendly and sometimes not so friendly banter between the cerebral Vulcan and the hot-blooded human ship's doctor from Kentucky. And there was the communications officer. And she is black like me. Lieutenant Ura. And the actors who played her in the show, Nichols, nearly left that show after that first season, Broadway beckoned. But a certain fan stopped by the soundstage one particular day to meet a favorite character on his favorite show. The fan's name? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm leaving Star Trek. He's, he said, you cannot. You cannot. I just looked at him. He said, for the first time on television, we will be seen as we should be seen every day. As intelligent, quality, beautiful people who can sing, dance, but who can go into space. Who can be lawyers, who can be teachers who can be professors, who are in this day, and yet you don't see it on television until now. And he went on, uh, so, so many of the things, perhaps some of the things he, he said, but I could say nothing. I just stood there realizing every word that he was saying was the truth. And he said, if you leave... Michelle, Gene Roddenberry has opened a door for the world to see us. If you leave, that door can be closed because you see, your role is not a black role. And it's not a female role. He can fill it with anything, including an alien. And at that moment, the world tilted for me. Now, in the liner notes below, 
We're going to give you the full interview, the complete story, right from the person who lived it. But Nichols is also known for another role in actually helping us go where no one had gone before. After the end of Star Trek's run into the 1970s in the middle of varied projects, one of those was for the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. She was speaking to NASA and she looked out in the audience and she looked at all the scientists, engineers, and astronauts and, and looked and asked, where are my people? And that particular speech caught the eye of the bosses at NASA. And they came to her with the challenge. Help us recruit more black and brown people into the space program. Help us recruit more women in the space program. And your favorite lieutenant and mine not only took that challenge, she exceeded it. She was part of a program and started a business designed to bring more diversity to NASA. And she opened American space exploration in many ways to all pieces of the American quilt in the form of not just astronauts, but also scientists and engineers. Because of Nichols' efforts, there was the first black American space guy in Buford. There was a person who succeeded him, the second black American space, Ronald McNair. And because of her example, a young girl became, named Mae Jemison later in the 90s became an astronaut herself, just to name a few. They were all black like me, and they all reached for the stars. And because of the role she played, a little black kid in Nebraska will look to the future and see that she has a place in the future. And that's where my sci-fi fandom was launched, that little kid was me. Goodbye and Godspeed, Lieutenant Uhura. Rest in power, Nichelle Nichols, and thank you for everything. Now, from those who look to the future to those who are stuck in the past, Friday saw both the Rugby Football Union and Rugby League in the United Kingdom ban transgender women from the sport. Now, we have a full story from OutSports in the liner notes below. Now, this falls in line with the ban that World Rugby called for back in 2020. It was a recommendation that England Rugby initially rejected, along with a number of other governing bodies around the world. Now, this ban comes in the middle of two major sporting events in the UK. The first happened Sunday, the 2-1 victory of England's women's soccer side over Germany in the European Championships. And, of course, there was the Commonwealth Games that started July 28th and is going full tilt as we do this podcast. Now, the RFU statement said, quote, The RFU considered the merits of the previous policy, case-by-case -case assessment, but in light of the research findings and the work of World Rugby and the UK Sports Councils, and given the difficulty in identifying a credible test to assess physiological variables, this is no longer a viable option at this time, and doesn't necessarily ensure inclusion. The RFU's president, Jeff Blackett, said, quote, We know that many will be disappointed by this decision. However, it has been based on the, all the scientific evidence available. Our game can be strengthened by everyone who is involved, be it in coaching, refereeing, administration, or supporting and playing non-contact forms of the game. Now, the vote by the RFU and the action by world by the vote by the RFU and by rugby league are the latest in a slate of actions by governing bodies around the world. 
That includes swimming's governing body, FINA, the World Governing Body for Cycling, the UCI, British Triathlon, and FIFA is planning to follow suit, as is World Triathlon and World Athletics, who's announced that they will have a policy coming up in relatively short order. Now, FINA and British Triathlon have both discussed the possibility of a quote-unquote open category, where simply women competitors would compete as one category and everybody else would compete as the other. Now, one thing, one little hitch to that, FINA has not defined what an open category will look like. They say it's under study. British Triathlon will start an open category next year, which basically says that is that cisgender men, trans men, trans women, non-binary competitors would all compete in one class, but all those who are not cisgender men must carry a competition license that refers to them as male, whether you identify as male or not. Now, one of those policy changes, the UCIs, which is not a direct ban, it calls for a two-year evaluation period for trans women seeking to get into a elite competition, it factored into a decision at last week's USA cycle track uh, last week's USA track cycling championships. In the women's individual pursuit competition, there was a competitor named Leah Guinness. She's a transgender woman and she finished second. But then some ill communication happened afterwards. A quote directly from her Instagram page. The next day, as I was preparing for the mass start races, a USA Cycling official informed me that I was no longer allowed to compete and that my place on the individual pursuit podium was to be revoked on account of my trans identity. Now, six weeks ago, I was eligible for competition at the UCI C1 and C2 races held at the same velodrome and overseen by the same technical director. Six weeks later, now that I'm doing well at nationals, I am suddenly ineligible to compete? The transphobia is so blatant, it's almost laughable. Being a trans woman in this sport is so incredibly frustrating. Poorly communicated guidelines, restrictions, and requirements that are constantly changing, lack of empathy from USA Cycling, and a peloton full of furtive whispers and sideways glances mean that even showing up to compete is an immense struggle. End of quote. Apparently, She's run afoul in some way of the new UCI guidelines, which went into effect on July 1st. But that's the question. Did she run afoul of those guidelines? Because there is the ambiguity, even in the guidelines as you read them. What happens to athletes who were deemed eligible? This is why I call it the Emily Bridges rule in many ways, because this is what exactly happened to Emily Bridges. She was deemed eligible, and then a policy change comes, and they say that she's ineligible. Could this be the same thing here? We're going to dig for the answer to that question. We're going to keep doing the reporting on this, and we're going to keep you aware of what's going on. And we hope to have Ms. Guyanis here at the transporter room in the near future. But in rugby, it's clear. Trans women can't play at any level, and the decision was met with a great deal of grassroots criticism from corners such as international gay rugby to a number of individual clubs across the UK, who's now the head club. And someone who had a lot to say was a former England international who now coaches for an inclusive team. She was quite vocal. 
in the last two years, there have been four women who have applied, because you have to apply, to be to play in the Women's League as a trans woman. There have been four women. There have been 35 trans men that have applied to play in the Men's League. There have been zero injuries since this is, all this data was collected. Absolutely none. So my question is, where has this new policy come from? Where has it come from to say that actually now all of a sudden it's dangerous? Is it because actually politically there is so much transphobic behaviours going on around this country and actually England Rugby just want to jump on that bandwagon because there is no statistical facts to back that up? None whatsoever. Because actually, the matter of the fact is, there is already that weight difference. There is already that height difference. There is already that strength dif difference. And actually, it's an insult to women. It's an insult to women that these people think that we need saving. We don't need saving. We don't need saving at all. We just want to play rugby, good competitive rugby. The voice you just heard is out of Sasha Atchison. She was a development candidate in English rugby since she was 13. She was a member of Team England's rugby union side that qualified for the 2014 Women's Rugby World Cup. But she was sidelined for that tournament by a knee injury that was said to be career-ending. She didn't listen to the doctors. She put in the work, and three years later, she was back in an England kit and earned a spot on the Barbarians, a special all-star team of the best of the best of British rugby. In 2021, she became the head coach of the inclusive Bristol Bisons rugby side. With the policy changes that were announced, Atchison, who is a cisgender woman, stood in allyship and put her voice square in the discussion. And believe you me, she can speak for herself, and we're honored that she's going to do it here. Sasha Atchison, beaming up from Bristol, UK, welcome to the Transporter Room. Energize. Thank you. It's lush to be here. It's great having you here. And before we get going into the brass tacks of this, for those who may not know, and I'm pretty sure unless they're they are diehard ruggerheads where I'm based in the United States who most don't know. What is what would you say your greatest moment on the pitch wearing that rose on your chest? What's um, I think it might be actually the picture that you've got displayed behind your head. So um, it was when I played against Canada and there was a tap penalty and I sprinted about 40 metres up the pitch. So um, that was one of my greatest moments. Other than that, it was just getting capped at all. That was the best feeling of my life. So, yeah. Like if I saw you running down the pitch at full, speed, at full tilt and plus you told me you were a sprinter at one time. At one time. Yeah, you had that 200-400 lean going. Um, I would yeah. make the business decision. <laughs> um, now, here's a collision I'd want to see. Caroline late? Yeah, Caroline, if you're listening, yeah, I got somebody who could probably hang with you. <laughs> I, got, not, uh, uh, I, found some, uh, I think I found somebody. But for you, what is it about this game that gets in you? What was that like for you? I think for me, so... I've played rugby my entire life. So I played rugby, I played tag rugby in primary school. And then um, I went and did some other sports for a little bit. But then I went back to doing contact rugby when I was 11 years old. And I think for me, actually what it comes down to is 
I've said this a lot in different interviews, I suppose, recently, but everybody's got a different superpower and something to bring to the game. And it is for all shapes and sizes. So like I was a very built female, but I was very, very quick. And that soon became my superpower. And I think that the different types of people you meet, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how much money you've got. It doesn't matter any of those things like it just matters whether you love running around with your mates or not and that's at the grassroots that's where the fundamental part of this sport comes from and um at the end of the day if you're not doing your part and you're not a cog in that wheel then you're letting your team down it's you're doing something that's greater than yourself and I think that's what I love so much about rugby now what was it like not to have it when 2014 the knee injury and then you had to spend what was it almost three years back what was it like not to have not to have the game and then get and then fighting to get it back I think that was a particularly horrendous period of my life actually because I'd gone from fighting and having the best se- the season of my life that season was my first cap season. So I was top try scorer in the premiership that season as well, um, which for someone who played my position was a pretty niche thing. Um, and I'd really worked so hard on everything to do with my body, my fitness, my mental, like what I'm capable of, everything. And um, so... The fact that I went from being rated as, like, you know, I was picked to play for England, so I was one of the best in England then, you know, and I got picked, like, picked to go to the World Cup, so by association, one of the best in the world. To then go from that to having absolutely nothing the day before the World Cup squad was announced was unbelievably traumatic, to be fair. Like, um, I went from having functioning legs and like you know when in truth when my surgeon said to me look we'll build build your knee for life not for sport you won't be able to play rugby again you won't be able you know to run without a limp all these things my first answer and this is a god's honest truth was cut my leg off I'll be a Paralympian and I was like, what's the point what's the point of me having a functioning leg if I can't do anything with it and that's the first thing I said to him and he said I think that you don't understand what you're saying <laughs> so um yeah it took me three and a half years and I had an amazing physiotherapist and to be fair then the RFU let me have access to Twickenham so that I moved in back with my parents and I commuted back and forth two and a half hours every day to Twickenham quit my job used all my savings and um had a physio that wouldn't give up on me just as much as I wouldn't give up on me so that's how I got back and um but I think you get to a point where you realise you're no longer invincible and that's what's difficult in elite sport is when you realise your mortality, I suppose. So um, that's what I went through anyway. Now I'm having this image of you and Verity Smith in dueling wheelchairs. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I do, I'm, I'm seeing this image when you said that, just cut my leg off them like, okay, that would be wild. You Because no, Verity doesn't give an inch. And yeah. as you can see, you don't either. No. Now, I don't. now that spirit has come into play in this issue. 
and we're going to get into the brass tacks of this. And I want to begin with a piece of the statement by the Rugby Football Union President Jeff Blackett. Yeah. Where he said, quote, we know that many will be disappointed by this decision. However, it has been based on all the scientific evidence available. Our game can be strengthened by everyone who is involved, be it coaching, refereeing, administration, supporting, and playing non-contact forms of the game, end of quote. First, gut reaction hearing that from the head of the game. So it's like saying you're not welcome to play, but you are welcome to make the cups of tea afterwards. It's ridiculous. So that's my initial, that's my initial, um, by that first snippet. I mean, there's more in there that I'm very familiar with that, that I think will get more out of me, but you've asked my initial response and that's it. Like, yeah, go and make the cup of tea, mate, but you're not allowed on my pitch. Well, that in itself, from a player's perspective, because we've been hearing this for two years, the World Rugby Working Group, which, by the way, had no trans women who play on it. And according to the data that's out there, there are seven trans women who this affected directly. And none of them were consulted for this. As a player, where did all these working groups in your mind get it wrong? Well, for a start, this hasn't been a vocalised thing for people to be like, actually, anyone that feels like they've got anything to impart, will you come and be on this working group? Like, that hasn't ever gone out to anybody. And it says that there was a survey done of 11,000 people or something, but that wasn't made public for the entirety of the community game and everything else, because I certainly didn't see it, because I certainly would have had something to say about it. So I think... It's one thing cherry picking and it's another thing, the scaremongering of asking the wrong people, like people have asked the wrong people what their opinion is rather than the right people. And I believe truly that there should be an equal spectrum of discussion and thought and that truly, you know, everything should be considered. But the problem is these trans women were playing in the community game and the community game wasn't consulted. I've got a real problem with that. Like these these trans women wouldn't, from literally hearing their stories and speaking with them, they wouldn't want to put anyone in danger's way. That's not why they've joined women's sport. So if they thought that was even a possibility, they would actually remove themselves. They've all said that. So this whole fundamental idea and this whole collective, like, What's happened is they've asked some of the elite sports people what their perceptions are. Apparently, that's what I've now read. But actually, it doesn't affect the elite. And even if it did, like you're asking someone who are ranked the best in the world in their positions, are you prepared to let someone who could potentially come in and take your spot? Like, what an awful question to be asked. Like, what are you going to say? Well, then itself. How much, as a player, how unbased is that fear? I don't know. I think it's really difficult when you play elite sport. Really difficult. Because you have this thing between fair, like fairness in sport, which of course exists. Of course, that's what we're all driven by, I'd like to think. But then also you have this drive in 
wanting to be seen as and be the best that you can be and one of the best in the world like you wouldn't put yourself through what you have to put yourself through in an elite setting especially as a woman where generally speaking most people are not professionals they have to still have jobs juggle all these things they have to put having kids on the back burner they have to go through all these traumas with their body they have to also figure out how to train around their period cycles and everything else that comes with being elite sportswoman like you don't put yourself through all of that to then give access for someone to take your spot so I totally get that but equally we're supposed to be pioneers and role models of the game which should be inspiring the next generation just as the previous generation inspired us and even though I don't play now because of injury I hope that I've done that for somebody else to help them pave the way. And then if someone ever took my spot, I would always congratulate them and always say well done to them. But of course, intrinsically and internally, I'd be like, right, what part of my game am I doing wrong? And there were many different things that actually at very different times in my life, I knew that they were the issues or whatever, that I was like, right, I need to give that my full attention to now overcome that. So then actually I can be ranked out and out best and not, Sub- you, you can't raise yourself higher by standing on other people and I think that's the wrong that's the attitudes that's starting to creep in to sports and into politics especially is people are treading on other people to, tr- to raise themselves higher like just just be the person that you want to be and be the best version of that and if it's enough then it's enough I don't think that's fantastical to say that one thing that you said on your Instagram post, and you had a lot to say on that. We, we, we played some. No, we well, we played some snippets of it before this interview started. Right. And okay. One of the things that struck me is that you called this out. You said that this is this is an example of the transphobia in the country. Yes. Yeah. As as a cisgender Briton who is seeing this. Expand on that a little bit. What What is it like for you? What are your thoughts on what you hear, see, and read? Because it just seems like it's it's been nonstop in recent years. I know, and I'm just sorry. Like, it's just awful. And I think, um, I mean, Rishi Sunak, I mean, at the moment, I don't know if many of you guys know, but there's a huge thing going on for who's going to well, be. Right now, well, right now, the Tories are trying to figure out yeah. Liz Truss, Liz Truss, who is a known turf. And I think that's one thing. So, you know, the fact that trans people were, you know, and the Equality Act was called woke nonsense this week. I'm just like, sorry, what are you talking about? And that's literally what politics are saying. And the fact that actually, it's like trans people have only just suddenly started to exist. That's kind of what politics and sports are both trying to suggest, is our trans people have just arrived on this planet and actually we need to sort it out. And it's madness because trans participation in sports, specifically rugby, has been happening since the, like, since the beginning. Like, it's there's it's not a new concept like trans people have always existed just as lesbians have always existed and gay men have always existed you can try and silence them and force them into the darkness but they've always existed and it's the denial of that humanity that's coming and I think that's what I take real exception to and actually 
simply to force their political agenda through when actually the state of this country is such a shambles, as is quite a few actually, um, but to try and force your political agenda through by treading on other people in order to raise yourself higher, just sort out the economy first, mate. Like you've got petrol prices through the roof where petrol companies are taking loads of money. You've got a household income crisis going on. Um, not income, but like in terms of what we're having to pay on bills and energy and you've everything. Got, like you've got football prices. players doing more than their government to make sure hungry kids get fed. Exactly. And we've got people who are publicly raising money for our NHS, which is what our taxes go to. Like, what are you doing? Just sort all that out first. And like the trans community and the queer community should be unbelievably far down and off of your list let alone why are you trying to push it to the top what are you doing it's ridiculous it's ridiculous and now one thing you talk about you've co you've coached some trans people yes what's it yeah. what's it been like for you what have you learned from that experience and what have you taken from that experience in the sense if it did to lead you to speak out now so I coach a trans male and every single coaching development point that I've given him, he's taken on board and has thrived within it. But also in terms of his own progression in the gym, everything else, like he's a muscular male. And it's like, you would never look at him in any other way than the way he is. Like you wouldn't look at him and think, ah, oh, trans man. You'd look at him and be like, there's a good looking lad there. Do you know what I mean? And I, I and even athletically and stuff, it's like the squad that I coach is 72 players. So there's a lot of them. And you can by no means point out who's who or who's what or be like, oh, they're at a disadvantage or whatever. He won bison of the season. Like he got bison of the season this season. And he is incredible. And that was because of his performance. It wasn't a token it's because he has been a solid performer and not only that but other teams have said can you come and play for us they've tried to steal him so it's friendly banter but like you, the human body is amazing how it can adapt and change when given the chance to do so to live your true authentic self so in a sense what you're saying is this pops in the balloon of those who say well trans men Trans men are not in this discussion because people believe they'd be un they'd be uncompetitive anyway. Oh, completely. And actually, like, I've almost thought when people have said, actually, you know, I cannot wait for the day. I cannot wait for the day when a trans male wins athletic competitions, whether it be selected for England, whether it be. Um, representing on a global stage like because it's going to happen and it will happen at some point and I will literally have my hands in the air and be applauding so loudly just from having going through this experience and I think as well like it belittles what people can achieve by setting we've, we know how dangerous it is in life to put glass ceilings on people and that's exactly what's going on is people are trying to limit what human beings are capable of and it's it's fear-based it's not through anything else because the problem is with this policy going through in england there isn't a science-based there's nothing science-based that actually backs it up like there is no study that's between a trans woman and a cis woman there's there's no study that actually does that there's no study that says 
okay, is this person, like, how do these people differ? How do their bone composition differ? How does their muscular composition differ? Like, high everything. There's, there's no study that says those things. So it's like, okay, at the moment you're comparing a cis male and a cis female, which is a ridiculous comparison to make. What you, like, that's stupid. Now, one person disagree with you that you actually went toe-to-toe with. A certain sports expert, in quotes, from South Africa named Ross Tucker. Oh, Ross. Where does, in your mind, where does Ross get it wrong? Ross gets it wrong because, like, consistently is talking about a cis male versus a cis woman. And is making a comparison of a cis man and a cis woman. And I just... I've even offered myself to be a guinea pig, to be under scientific testing as a cis woman, to be a direct comparison for any scientific study he has for a trans woman. And I even said we can go one step further and you can do pre-transition, post-transition and then versus a cis woman. But it needs to be a trans woman compared with a cis woman and not a cis man with a cis woman because that is not what we're discussing. And it's like... it. His comparators and the way that he is trying to base his scientific data, he's twisting the scenario of exactly what is happening in England. He is backing up a man deciding to put on a dress and play rugby tomorrow. That's what he's doing. And he is banning that from happening, which that scenario is fine to ban. Like, of course, that should be banned. But, but what that's not, but that never happens. Exactly. That's the thing. That does not, that doesn't happen like that. Exactly. Instead, he's relabeling it and saying that this cis man is a trans woman. And I'm like, well, no, that's literally not, that's not what's happening here. And that's, so I've had quite a number of conversations with Ross and I've maintained that throughout. And also just a note to all the, to any guys who are thinking that, that you're just going to put on a dress. Number one, and I'm a trans woman who is an athlete. We like wearing a proper kit. Thanks. (laughs) <laughs> That's the first thing we we like getting a proper kit, and yeah. but that in itself, touch on that a little bit. How does this perception? Because one thing you talked you've talked about at length is how all these perceptions and misconceptions affect cis women in sport. Yeah. So. I mean, female rugby players forever, really, and not just female rugby players, but crossfitters, whatever. If you're too muscular or you're too built or you're anything that threatens the concept of what being female is, then you're immediately labelled as, I don't want my daughter to go into you. You must be on steroids. You're disgusting. You're this, you're that. And we've all been under fire about things like that at some point. I've been asked, am I a boy or a girl before when I was younger? I got asked that all the time. And it was because I was, an, like, I'd been in the elite pathway since I was 13 years old. I was, you know, I was a built woman. That's what I've always been. And I had shorter hair then, whatever. But actually, this, you don't have this in men's sports. You don't have this, like, if I decided, to be a trans man today and I just announced it to you right now tomorrow I could go and play men's rugby without having any HRT without doing anything to my body without doing anything else I would just have to sign a waiver 
And that just goes to show how little they think, and this isn't a safety issue, it just goes to show how little they think that women, what women are capable of, basically. And I think there's always been this element that's been controlled and women's sports always been controlled. And actually, the reason that women's sports exist and that it's categorised originally, people think it's to do with safety. The reason women's sports came to exist is because of a defiant act. It was literally because a woman who was told you can't play rugby or you can't play football, as we now know, was told, actually, I am going to. And that's exactly how women's rugby came to exist. Women's sport exists because of the fine act. And that's what actually needs to happen in this now is that trans women need to be included by other women saying, we want you and you deserve to keep your place here. Like we've played with you, we've played against you and we're not threatened by you. You're not a threat and we support you. And that's what needs to happen in the community game now. And we're hearing that red alert klaxon right now. I don't know what that means. We've got to take a little break. Give some love to the sponsors. But when we come back, more with Sasa Atchison in regards to what brought her into a coaching career, views on women's sports, and flying head-on against the Twitter Death Star. That more to come. <laughs> I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb. We are joined by Bristol Bison's rugby head coach, Sasha Atchison, who's also been quite outspoken on the recent unpleasantness regarding both Rugby Football Union in England and Rugby League, who both, within minutes of each other, put forth basically a ban on transgender women playing. And that's another thing. Both... Sasha, both codes, same yeah, day? I think um, you can't say that there's definitely not a link there, really, can you, for it to be the, the same day? That just seems a bit a bit much, especially seeing as one was known to be coming out and the other one wasn't. But I think the other thing is about this blanket ban is it doesn't talk about what about pre-pubescent uh, trans players. It just bans them even though there have been studies done, and there was a study done in America, which actually showed that there is zero, zero advantage at all. It's irrefutable, and they should be allowed to participate on any sporting stage. But they're just blanket banned, because it's like, now nah, you're trans, you're blanket banned, sorry, bye. It's ridiculous. I find it very bittersweet and ironic, for example, that Friday, last Friday, this ban was implemented. Both yeah. codes. And then Sunday, you had this beautiful moment. Yeah. Where, where you had England women's football finally bringing, getting, that, getting a major trophy by winning the European Championship. Yeah. And then seeing all the congratulations. Liz Truss with congratulations and Sasha Davies with her congratulations. Yeah, And at the same time, these are the same people who two days ago were applauding girls being told you can't play. I think that's what 
like it's tainted it feels like it's tainted quite a lot like there's been some amazing sport on tv and happening in the world recently like we've had the commonwealth games which you know someone the games are going on now yeah and my mates like some people i know are playing in that and you've then got obviously the women's football which was incredible to watch and it should be a time for utter celebration actually these barriers that women have been fighting for for such long periods of time of being told you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you're being like your ideas are just completely off of a different planet to think that this is what you could do. They've told them I am enough and I deserve to be here and I'm, I'm worthy. Yet at the same time, the sport that I love so much has become less diverse and less inclusive and has told a group of players, which I'm, I'm just certain of as, at some point, in time they will look back on this with shame just as i hope that they have done with exclusion of women's sports previously and non-supporting of women's sports previously just just as everything's always happened i just hope that this can be turned around but unfortunately it took football 50 years to get back to where it is now in the last year, there's been a lot of talk about additional funding. Like the beautiful thing about England is you have a ministry for culture and sport. And there's been talk about more money for women's athletics, something like they're going to make a, a huge like 20, 30 billion pound investment right. in, in, Brit- in, British's na- in Britain's national teams in, in Olympic funding over this next 10 over these next three olympiads yeah now in your mind how how can women's sport be possibly affected by this what is needed what are the real issues in women's sport in the uk now that's such a good question i think um women's sports definitely making strides like when i played like when i first 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 played for england um in fact, I caught the very first year of us not having to pay for our own kit and stuff. So I caught, I just caught that. Um, and then it's just come to obviously this place where now actually there are professional contracts going out. I don't believe that women are paid enough for a start. I really don't. I think, um, yeah, especially comparatively with the men, they're not paid enough. Um, but I think exposure is really massive, but actually, the Six Nations being part of TikTok and all that stuff as well, that's been amazing. Um, and actually the exposure is really brilliant. But I think the biggest problem with women's sports is the glass ceiling that's being placed above their heads from the people at the top. Um, because there's a lot of talk of this, like, oh, we're driving women's sports, we're going to drive it forward. You know, women's rugby is the most um, biggest growing sport in the country, which it is. And, but actually still... By putting this ban in place, for example, it's another it's another way of controlling the autonomy of a woman because it's saying, actually, this is how you fit into this construct. And also what happens when a woman becomes too strong, too manly, or are we now going to open up the realms for being testosterone tested or, you know, at what, where is this line going to stop? Now, Sasha, let's look at that. Well, do you ever see a time when women's sports won't be looked at through a male lens? 
I really hope so. I, and I think football, actually, what the Lionesses have done is especially the celebration of taking your top off and running up the pitch. Like one of my favourite posts that actually somebody shared was them saying, this is a body that's being celebrated for pure joy, this woman in a bra. It's not being celebrated to sexualise. And that was an amazing statement for me to see. Um, and I think for too long, women's bodies and the way of everything gets sexualized. Everything is, is a, almost a sexual act and women are there to be this sexual act. And actually we're so much greater than that. And we're so much more powerful than you could possibly imagine. And there are some amazing male advocates of that actually. So it's definitely not labeling all men as anything at all. But equally, I think when, when will women sports be looked at through an equalist eyes I don't know and I, I'm, I'm sure that it will happen because women's sport is such an incredible thing and it it shows that being strong and courageous is so much better than being something to be viewed or sat on a pedestal I'm looking at your Twitter page right now oh god and a post recently, it states, in fact, in this last week, me clicking on notifications on Twitter this morning, and it is a shot from the movie Dodgeball. Yes. Now we're getting into, we're getting into a little piece of sci-fi that you know quite well, the Twitter Death Star. Yeah. The, what is it? I mean... I have a feeling you're 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 a newbie in this. You I am. Did you I'm, even did you even think that like this issue would have would have you just catching catching crossfire? I mean just no. I don't. Like honestly, I I don't know if I've lived in a bubble. I really don't. Like I I'm in a same sex relationship. I've got a beautiful daughter. Um I've had like I have really haven't ever witnessed, but I've heard a lot of stories about homophobia, transphobia, etc. And um, I mean, I've been on the receiving end of sexism, I suppose, but uh, this is a different level. I really, I mean, I don't even use Twitter that much, but I felt so incensed by this issue that I went on Twitter, and then suddenly it went viral. And I think. Um, the amount of crossfires that I've had and the amount of horrendous, hateful things that I've been on the receiving end of, I just feel like it's nothing compared to the people that this actually truly is about. And I just have so much solidarity with the people that get this consistently because it is exhausting. No, you think? <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's, it's genuinely, it's a lot, right? It, oh, well, oh, believe me, I've had, I've done a few appearances here and there after a television appearance I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a little piece of trans wisdom right now. Go on. Never, never read the comments. <laughs> Gosh, I never read, do not read the comments. Don't. A lot of these people who are commenting, they don't know, they don't know rugby. No. What is that? What is navigating through that like? I think there's a difference in terms of the different types of people that you engage with. And some things are just a bit funny. And actually, I'm, 
I don't mind being cheeky, so that's no, I know that. That's, that's the way I've always been. But I think um, there are people that aren't worth engaging with. They're just uh, they're just not worth like letting that mental headspace even go there or giving them the time of day. Because the fact of the matter is, like, there are people that have commented hateful things, but at the end of the day, they listen to me talk for six minutes. So I've been in their headspace for six minutes. I'm not going to let them be in mine for one second. And that's not because... I'm not listening to a balanced argument. If someone was genuinely trying to say, actually, Sash, this is the science, this is this, this is this, this is this, and we could have a discussion like I've done with Ross, actually, at times. So I was like, okay, is there more that I need to understand here? Then I would have a balanced conversation. Like, I genuinely would. It's not unreasonable. But these people are just hateful people that like to spread hate. Some of them are robots anyway. It's just... Like, it's just not with engaging your time. But I honestly didn't realise that quite so many of these people in the world are like this because I, it's just against every ounce of my moral fibre to be like that. So, yeah, it's mental, really. <laughs> now, what message would you give the TERFs? I, and, and Britain's got some of the nastiest in the world, especially like that Posey Parker individual that, that showed that flew across an ocean to picket a college swimming meet here in the U.S. What message would you give them in regards to your game? Because they have, they've been out, they have been out in force saying that this is a gr this is a great thing for rugby. It's a great thing for women. Um, I mean, several things. One is don't speak for me. Like I'm a woman and I can more than happily speak for myself. Like I don't need protecting from you. Thank you very much. Um, and the next thing that I would say would be, do you honestly think, so I did a quick Google search of what it takes to transition from male to female. It was super quick Google search. And it says it takes between three and five years minimum and at least £20,000. Do you honestly, truly, truly believe someone would transition from male to female just to be like, oh, do you know what? I'm going to compete in women's sports and I'm going to take someone's spot. And I'm also, like, do you think someone would spend that amount of money and also that time and that that's, that's hella dedication. That's so much dedication to be like, I'm just going to compete in women's sport. Not only that, but you also have to learn how to move again. Like, I've spoken to some of my friends about it and stuff, and they said how they had to learn literally how to move because they are so much weaker or they've just got completely different functions and things going on in their bodies. They're not... It's just the whole thing is absurd that these people can have this argument and it be valid. It's not valid. Like, what you're telling me isn't valid. Like, do you seriously believe that? And, yeah, so I think well, the TERFs, I just say educate yourself because you're not educated. Oh, one more time for the people in the back, especially that last. I'm living that last part right now. Uh, educate living, yourself because no. you're not educated. <laughs> You know, that, but also I'm living that last part of like, you relearn everything. Yeah. You have to, because yeah, you're in a body that's very different. You, it won't do, it won't do the things that you, th it, it were, it is a whole new machine. No. So regardless you know, of any, one of the women, one of the women that I spoke to before transitioning used to be big into motocross. 
and she used to be able to change her tire on her car in like from getting out stopping the car changing the tire all that stuff she could do the whole thing in eight minutes flat pre-transition now she's transitioned she's had to call the AA out twice because she just cannot do it herself no matter how long she spends on it she can't she doesn't have the strength to do it anymore and that's not it's nothing to do with it other than the fact that she's transitioned and she's in a brand new body even though it's still her body it's it's not the same it it's just not the same one thing that you are looking to do in the near in the future something you're building and you recently announced this is you've decided that okay i'll I'll put together a community skills clinic we'll we'll take it all the way we'll take it all the way to the roots of the grassroots what's the status on that so pending i think um basically it's definitely going to happen that's for sure like when i say i'm going to do something i always deliver so i'm i'm going to make sure this happens and everybody you're invited come come along oh but, um, i'll show up see, <laughs> see i'm 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 planning a uk tour for next year oh great well i am i'm i'm planning to because we've had so many guests especially in the last year and a half on the podcast who are front? Who are in the United Kingdom? So I figure, like you know, what I better go over there. I want to go over there and meet, like, well, this would be a yourself. great time to do it because I think what I'm planning on doing isn't just it's turned into something bigger than that, just through the traction that even me saying that gained. So actually, what I want to try and provide is obviously the rugby skills bit and the, the session of being inclusive and having the most inclusive session on the face of the UK basically with these new rules and stuff so not only do I want to do that but I also want to provide a stage so it, like a main stage if you will of having trans athletes or people talking so then actually it can give that awareness and that instead of this perception that's now going on of trans athletes or people being this scary monster that's in your cupboard type thing that people are all trying to say is happening or a threat actually give a human element to it and be like this is a trans athlete this is what a trans person has to go through to even exist like what are you talking about so giving a stage you could call it an activism stage I suppose and then I'd also like to have like some live music or something to make it like have an after party or whatever and some food tents and stuff to make a proper like festival of it rather than being just a rugby session I think that this is more important than that and actually this could then provide a platform for a lot of people to get educated in a safe space and a safe environment that actually is inclusive for everybody and also it, it would be I know it's it's reaching to even have these ideas but they have to start somewhere and it needs to be of a scale where everyone is welcome and everyone feels included and wanted because that's what rugby's tried to say is that you are not valid and you are not seen. And I want to do exactly the opposite of that. I want to validate and see people. Coming into the home stretch now, you have had the, you've had a distinguished career in the game. You've been a part of the highest levels of the game ever since you were, ever since you were a young girl yourself. Yeah. With all that experience, there's a lot of places you could coach. What brought you to the Bisons? <laughs> so 
the bisons i mean the actual story of how i became the bisons coach is i was three doors up from my two of the bisons that moved in down the road and um i saw that they had a rainbow rugby ball on the floor and they basically told me they were recruiting a head coach so that's kind of how that ended up by happening which is, was a really funny story but um they i think what drew me to them and, and to committing to being their head coach was that obviously I played women's rugby for quite a long time and I think being involved, even though I'd been asked to coach and be involved in the women's world, I needed a break from it because I was going to be too likely to pull on my boots again and play because that's what I'm like. Like I want to get involved. I want to be a part of it. But actually me and my partner had been going through IVF for my little one and with my knee injury previously, which was still giving me jip, I wanted to make sure that I would run around with my kids when I'm older. but actually what happened with the Bisons was so serendipitous. Like they, they were wanting a um, head coach and they had several people that they were interviewing. And I went along to a session. I got driven to my, to my first session in Ferrari, which was hilarious. Um, and then got out and then it was pre-season and there was just this big group of rugby boys <laughs> on the pitch looking very rugby boyish. But the only difference was is that they had an amp on the side of the pitch with a disco ball on top of it playing Whitney Houston whilst they were doing sprints. Um, so that was amazing. And I joined in. I played with like I played rugby with them. So for those of you that say, Sasha, go and play with the men, I did. Um, so, yeah, I just got involved with them. And then when we started playing games and stuff, I then coached them a little bit in their game and everything. And we all gelled really, really well. And um I didn't really even have an interview. It was just that this girl knows what she's on about. We want her. And that was really special for me. And I think the biggest gift from being involved with the Bisons is they've all got their own journey. I never knew what IGR rugby was before then. And they've all been on their own journey and hearing what they've been through has been really humbling and how having an inclusive space means so much to them. And a safe space means so much to them because they're part of the queer community. I mean, there are straight guys that play for our team as well because they didn't like what they witnessed in the male community rugby, which I don't think is across the board, but it is a real shame that they experienced that to begin with. Um, But actually, they say that they've got so much from me, but actually they've given me so much too. Like, I genuinely love each and every one of them and it's been it's helped me fall back in love with the grassroots of the game, I suppose, rather than being so focused on the elite. How much did that experience influence you stepping forward and putting your voice out there now? I think hugely. I mean, you see there are male allies who are putting their voice out there and it's such, it's so weird to even say allies because there shouldn't be a fight. This shouldn't be a war. Like, it's just, it seems mad to me. But there are so many male allies or teams or men's teams and stuff that are putting their voice out on the block and they're saying, this isn't okay. But actually, they're then being shouted down and being told that they're women beaters or that they're perverts or that, of course, they'd want men, they're telling women what to do with their bodies. But actually, 
I feel like it is my responsibility to turn around and say, not in the game that I love. Like, this isn't happening in the game that I love. Like, I want to be able to tell my daughter rugby is the most inclusive and amazing sport because I've always said it will teach you values and lessons for life. And one lesson I don't want to teach her is that exclusion is okay. And now that's what rugby is doing. So from being part of this inclusive club and being head coach for this inclusive club, of course it's it's exposed me to more situations and hearing other stories that I never knew existed in the rugby world. I thought the rugby world was really inclusive. But to hear that now this is happening in the game that I love, I'm just not prepared to let it happen. So that's why I'm being quite so loud about it. Exit question. Hit me. You get the phone call. Right. Ms. Atchison, we need to see you at Twickenham. Right. And you're led into a cl- you're led into a conference room. Right. And there is his honor, Jeff Blackett. Okay. RFU president. Yeah. And he asked, Sasha Atchison, what should we do? If we're wrong about this policy, what should we do? Why should we do it? To put you on the spot, aren't you? Well done. So for a start, if I got that call at Twickenham, I would walk in wearing this T-shirt that I bought that's got a rose on it in the trans pride colours, by the way. Uh, I would do that first and foremost. And secondly, what do I think the RFU should do? I mean, the blanket ban is ridiculous because it is, it's not taking into account prepubescent rugby players for a start, which we've known there is no advantage, disadvantage, whatever. I think that in the community game, it's really difficult, this case-by-case basis thing, because actually, you know, I've been asked, where do you draw the line? Where do you say, actually, no, that isn't female enough? Or that, you know, and that's the whole thing that I'm arguing, is how can you define what is female? And how can you, how like, how dare you put what is feminine in a box? You can't do that. So I think that, that then becomes a really difficult question. However, the case-by-case basis was working. There were seven trans players who were playing who were included in the community game and the game was accessible to them. So I think for a starting point, you need to go back to that basis of reintroducing the case-by-case basis and supporting that. And I think then as well, you need to fund an actual study, an actual scientific study with all of the money that the RFU have got fund a study that actually does include trans women and cis women like fund that study and I will happily I hate needles I hate needles and I'm in a complete wimp with them but I will happily be a guinea pig to whatever scientific test fitness test which I thought was long behind me that you need to do to help be part of this solution but doing this blanket ban it's not acceptable and it is only it only amounts to discrimination where there have been no injuries and there's no science to found it on. That's what uh, I tell him. <laughs> also, if you could do me a favor after you're done at Twickenham, swing by 10 Downing Street. Oh, to whoever the next whoever the, the next occupant of 10 Downing is and say the same thing, please. I have joked that I was just like, oh, maybe I should go for that, but that's a bit too much, I think. I don't think, I, I think I'd be a bit too colourful for that. 
Well, one thing, it's good to have your voice in the discourse. And Sasha Atchison, I, I just want to say as an athlete to athlete, thank you. No, thank, thank you, you for speaking out. Thank I'm just you sorry that you, all, you guys are even going through this. I'm sorry that this is part of the narrative because it's not it's not what I want for the future of women's sport and it's not what I want for my the daughter. So, yeah. I would completely agree with that. And I also know... You've got a team to coach, so we're gonna we're gonna beam you back down to Bristol right now. Thank you, so thank you for joining us on the transporter room this week. Again, thank you to Sasha Atchison for her voice, her heart, and for joining us this week. And thanks to all of you across transporter room world, because we're not just a we're not just an American thing anymore, as you've probably noticed. And if there's some something you want to see or someone you want to see on this show, in part, this week's show came about because a couple of people said, you should send me a note saying, you should get this person here. You need to hear what she had to say. And here you go. So we listen here at the Transporter Room. So if there's someone you want to see, something you got to say about what we're doing here, by all means, leave a message on our Twitter page, leave a message on our Facebook page, and leave a message at our Instagram page, Transporter Room 10 Forward, because everything I do here at the Transporter Room, I do for all of you, the people who support us. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper and steady as she goes. <laughs> I'll catch you all next week. <laughs>